Mike, can I ask you a question? Yeah, but do you think it sounds cool? No, it sounds awful. Whoa! Hey, Brent. Brent just came into the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this edition of the Crypto Basic Podcast. My name is Kareem Baruke, and I am here today with my fellow co-host, Michael Lockie. What up? <laughs> All right. Now, today's episode is going to be part of our 101 series. Once again, that's a group of episodes where we take a specific concept or a project, and we explore it from the ground up. Today's topic is going to be GoChain. Our lead researcher is going to be the one and only Michael Lockie. Mike, before we dive into this project, before you start giving us an overview of what it is that we are looking at, the first question that we like to ask is, where was your mental state and what was your bias as you went into the project? I will be fully honest. I had never heard of GoChain. Uh, I was looking for inspiration to research. It had kind of been... You know, I hadn't really come across any ICOs that I was been a fan of recently. And honestly, I was just looking for something positive in the crypto space. And when I saw that Binance had awarded them the coin of the month listing and they're being offered to be listed on that exchange, to me, that's probably a pretty good indicator that it's a reasonable place to do some research. So that's where I started. And I really just wanted to get to know somebody that Binance this month awarded a you know po- popularity contest too right and you've actually talked about this contest before so basically mike from what i've understood is binance just has like a monthly or a quarterly contest where you know, whichever cryptocurrency gets the most votes they basically get listed for free as opposed to having to put up like a huge fee or something so i actually found out it's a little different and i did a little tiny bit of research looking into this and apparently in order to cast a vote, you have to cast it in Binance token. So that's actually part of their economy oh, okay. system. So All right, that makes sense, actually. So rather than having like a, a one size fits all fee, uh, people can vote, which I believe I saw that it was 10% of one BNB token. So 0.1 BNB. And whoever gets the most votes in that nature will. Uh, get the award. And I also, uh, I'm pretty sure I, I saw in there that there was a multiplier based on how many BNB you had in the account otherwise. So you get a voting multiplier based on your staking weight, quote unquote. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, they all have their own little uh, details internally, but I guess I actually do like the fact that they would limit the votes to the BNB tokens, even though I'm not a token holder myself, but that basically prevents... That anytime they have these contests, they could have a outside community just come in and brigade the vote. If it's just like a Twitter vote or a Discord vote, this is pretty cool because it's saying, no, listen, to the people who have finance, to the people who are part of this community, who do you want next? And I, I guess that's cool. So they chose GoChain, right? In a way, it's it's gonna it's a little bit of an interesting foreshadow based on the consensus model that we're gonna end up discussing in here. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna end up diving into both proof of authority and proof of reputation, and both of those are gonna kind of resemble what Binance is doing without so many words. Hmm. All right. So why don't you give us some proof that this episode is gonna be fun to listen to? What is this company's vision? What are they even trying to do, Mike? I've never heard of GoChain. Makes me want to go, 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 but let's so do it. So you're, you're saying you're ready to go, huh? Let's go. <laughs> All right. So 
uh, I started out checking out the members of the team. Um, it's, it's a little complicated when, when you see a page and there's 16 photographs and each one has a paragraph under them with all these titles and <laughs> accolades. And, and obviously I don't want to take away from any of that. It all looked impressive. Their, the resumes were very solid. Um, the CEO is Jason Decker. And he's been involved in, uh, managing hedge funds. He's been, you know, an angel investor. He's, he's been a large part of the tech community for quite a while. Um, many of the things I read, uh, he was very highly respected in this space. Um, and their chief software architect is, uh, Travis Reeder. And he founded a company called iron.io, um, which basically is a cloud computing, tools uh company that basically they they did a lot of cloud computing um innovations or they pushed the limits of that in ways that were very groundbreaking to that industry and and just as a complete side note it's really easy for someone like you and i to focus on crypto because it's what we're interested in but i i often forget how much innovation is going on in other parts of the technological world and i for whatever reason cloud computing is a sector that like has largely been ignored by me but the you know some of the things that they were able to to do i think um they were able to perform over a million transactions per second on a serverless cloud computer which for what that means you know that's that's probably the cloud server community equivalent of transactions per second and and these other things that are tr- constantly being pushed by you know the innovators so um i found that to be fairly interesting he has a couple other members from that team as well on this that um, he's worked with for a long time. You know, and, and as a quick side note, uh, Mike, just to play off of what you're saying in regards to, uh, you know, forgetting about how much innovation there's going across different spaces. I think um, we've seen too that a lot of times some of the people that'll bring a lot of innovation to a space are jumping in from another sector and that gives them this like unique look or they can see these specific applications or they can see how their field is developing and kind of bring that to the new field that they're stepping into and, and create new new things, you know, or even in a more broad sense, like every technologically based business has to have some form of a rock, paper, scissors platform within that technology. Like, I just feel like there's very few things that somebody is good at everything. And I feel like you have to have complementary parts in order to make this, you know, more successful. Gotcha. Gotcha. And anything else you want to tell us about like the history of the corner, the background? I know. Yeah, we we just touched on the team so far. We're going to get a little bit into kind of the timeline of how this all kind of took place. Um, Last December, they they completed what their original proof of concept. Basically, they proved it to themselves that they believe that this is something that they were going to do. A couple months later, they, they did a private sale. And, um, with that private sale, they were able to build their test net and get things going. Uh, back in March, the test net was live and fully able to be reviewed, understood. Uh, in May, they ended up doing their public sale. And also in May, they we were able to launch their mainnet. So we've seen this quite a few times where, you know, Anthony came on the show from um, ETC and said, like, the, the, you don't need that much money to build a blockchain. You don't need that much resources. And, you know, this, this, you know, based on this timeline, to me, it says, hey, they had an idea, they made it work, they raised the funds privately, and they just got it done. So, you know, based on that timeline, compared to other research projects, 
to me, that looks positive so far. It's definitely a quick turnaround. I Now, you haven't gotten into any of the details, so I don't know how ambitious a project it is. So I'm hesitant to compare it yet. But for sure, having a proof of concept in, in December and launching your mainnet in March is pretty insane. That's quick. That's really quick. The, the mainnet was May, but the testnet was in March. So even then, like... Oh, sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah May. I, not a problem there. Easy to mix up. So... With some of the things they have coming up and, you know, one of their claims for the last quarter of 2018 is they want to introduce uh, what is called a next generation smart contract. And when you're asking me to upgrade a smart contract, I'm like, well, I thought it was smart already. Uh, but I kind of wanted your opinion on this because I was able to read what they were trying to the, – the point that they're trying to make. But I'm curious on your take. Basically, they want – Pausable and upgradable smart contracts to prevent theft and reflect more real world scenarios. And they had a very specific line in there that says they would rather this than the current style of immutable smart contracts. So, you know, immutability and upgradability are very different concepts in my opinion. And I don't know which category I want to put this in. It sounds like an upgrade is generally going to be a good thing. So I guess I would start there. But, you know, when you're, I guess there's probably like a dozen keywords in crypto that kind of trigger people differently than other words. And, And trying to mess with immutability seems like something I want to at least pause at. Yeah. I mean, so I have two thoughts on this general thing. The first one is that I'll admit I'm pretty, I don't want to say skeptical, but dismissive when I hear the word next gen, because I literally like it's li- it's the ultimate marketing. Oh, let's just do anything and just say it's next gen. So um, you really have to prove that you're creating a new generation. Now on to the difference, like immutable smart contracts versus upgradable smart contracts the answer is why not both of course there's going to be industries and applications where immutability is going to be a paramount feature where we're going to want to know for a fact that nobody can ever alter that and then there is going to be other instances where we're going to need flexibility where we're going to need to be able to jump in especially for uh private blockchains for i mean whatever of course look We have all kinds of social systems that need to be changed and upgraded, including our law system, our tax system, whatever. So yes, if blockchain is going to be ubiquitous, obviously aspects of it need to be upgradable. But one of the things that it brings to the table, another aspect is immutability. So I don't really, it's not conflicting. And that's also why I don't necessarily like calling it a next generation smart contract in this case, because I wouldn't see it replacing immutable smart contracts. I would more see them as being utilized somewhere else. Yeah, I guess that was a better way to put my my slight hesitation as just kind of like, eh, I'm not sure about this. <laughs> um, and then the other thing that they want to have finalized in the early part of 2019, and I, and I had to do a little bit of digging about this, but um, they're going to have an, an Apache 2.0 license rewrite. And I, I did I did some little searching around on that. To me, it sounds like that's some form of official open source. And um, I was able to find that it's basically a permissive uh, free software license written by the Apache company. And, you know, if they move this into a fully open source situation, which I believe is the goal, 
then, you know, obviously that's going to have a tremendous amount of value to the network. It, this is meant to be, and I guess I, I didn't fully touch on this earlier. This is meant to be an, an assistance to Ethereum. It's built on the Ethereum network. It is, it is meant to increase transactions time. It's, it's meant to help make that network run in a significantly more efficient way. One of the things that I found super interesting about this, we've talked about off-chain solutions in the past. If you remember, we've discussed Plasma. We've discussed Raiden. Both of those concepts are meant to work in conjunction with this uh, Go network. So it's possible what we'll find long term, it's possible that a lot of these off-chain solutions are going to work harmoniously to make whether it's Ethereum or other blockchains significantly more efficient. Yeah. So this is just going to the idea that a lot of these systems are gravitating towards an ecosystem. They're going to be operating in an ecosystem. So the project's that are willing to facilitate uh, interactions in that ecosystem are probably going to benefit the most. We've talked before that we don't really believe that there's going to be like a one uh, project to rule them all or anything like that. But Mike, in the history, we got a little bit into the future, which I don't think is fair. (laughs) We should have just stayed on history. And in order to get us back onto the project itself, because I want to get into the features instruction, why don't we go ahead and do a rapid fire and then jump right into the features? Sounds good. All right, so rapid fire section. All right, so if you're not familiar with the rapid fire section, this is your rapid questions fired in quick succession. It's very, very creative. We come up with all the titles here ourselves. We did not outsource any of the creative material here at Crypto Basic. Not you're trying to welcome. brag. Just saying. All right, Mike, these are going to be five questions that get us to understand this project a little bit better. And I'm going to ask you rapidly, number one, is this a coin token or a platform? Platform. Okay. Mike, is this decentralized? Yes. Can it be mined or staked? No. It gets validated. I will accept that as a valid answer. (laughs) See what I did there? Again, we're here all night, ladies and gentlemen. Number four, is there mainnet live? Indeed. Mike, can I ask you a question? Yeah, but Do you think it sounds cool? No, it sounds awful. Whoa. Hey, Brent. Brent just came into the episode. (laughs) (laughs) I knew that that was Mike's Brent voice. (laughs) Yeah, man. Go. Let's go. Why not? I'm totally cool with Go. Yeah, it seems pretty easy. Okay, so for real, the the Go at the beginning makes me think a little bit of like Go-Gurt or something, but I think they could overcome that market. Go Daddy. Yeah, GoDaddy's not bad. Yeah, GoChain sounds cool. I Honestly, it's just two letters in front of the word chain. It's not bad for a blockchain product. Well, isn't that the elegance of marketing sometimes? Simpler No, is that's better? what I'm saying. I can't believe that they snatched that name. Like anything that's like, you know. Cash just, or quick. Yeah, yeah. Or- just like simple words, like three or whatever. A fruit, I guess. <laughs> Apple. Everybody loves it. <laughs> All right. So, Mike, let's get into the features and structure of the project. What is this actually about? Let's go. All right. So... Earlier, I said this would be decentralized, and I stand by that. Their their goal is to be decentralized. However, as with most projects, it's going to have to start somewhat centralized, and then it's going to remove itself eventually. In other networks, we've discussed the ceremonies that take place, and and I, f- I forget in particular all the details that every project is different in some way. But there, in general, there's a ceremony that's performed where people are you know representative of the network, and they have to make certain agreements to understand. Everybody has the same purpose for this outcome. Now, what are the validators going to be? The GoChain 
organization is going to set up 50 different validators. They're going to choose 50 different validators from 50 different countries. Now, here's the unique twist on what their consensus model is going to be. Originally, we've seen proof of authority and they've found this to be very flawed because what it does is it puts centralized people in charge of voting. So, you know, back or if you look at EOS, I believe they have 12 validators on their network and it's very easy to get control of the the fewer validators that are in control, the easier it is to manipulate the network. So what are they going to do different? Their big thing is they're going to use companies as validators instead of people. They believe that a company has significantly more to lose than an individual part. And because companies have to act in the best interest of all the moving parts within the company, they're assigning this role. By decentralizing it in a way that's going to put 50 different businesses in 50 different countries, they're hoping to greatly reduce the influence that the government can have on their blockchain, and they're trying to greatly reduce what you know could eventually be a long-term, you know, complication or or you know sticky situations with centralization within the network. Oh well, I guess that's where they lose me because I mean I I understand what they're going for here. I'm not even necessarily debating it straight across, but I don't know that businesses are that much safer. Like businesses are known to act in their own interest, even um, if it involves cheating or lying or anything like that. Just like people, if anything, I would actually argue that many times businesses are more incentivized to misbehave because the actual people within the business are insulated from repercussions because of things like corporate structure and stuff like that. I'm not saying that there's no place. I like. I kind of like the idea of saying, hey, we're going to take some major businesses and make them notes. But I think I would like it even more if they had said, hey, you know, we're going to take 20 major corporations, 20 major universities. Well, that's the goal. Obviously, I believe they're in a... They're in a phase where they're taking applications and they're, they're in this vetting stage from what I can tell. Now, they, in the history I wanted to touch on, um, they have a lot of agreements and partnerships. And you know how a lot of these like handshake deals go on where, you know, it's people that are probably trying to benefit each other, but it's not really a partnership. They had a lot of these. And, and the one that stood out to me, um, that they, they released in the media as far as one of the nodes on the network is a company called Prima Block. And Prima Block does a lot of the Ethereum smart contracts for, ICOs. Um, it's something our buddy Sasha has used because he's international. He's, it's something that a lot of ICOs are not available to American customers, but I've, I've understood what Prima Block is. And basically it's, it's a very simple, elegant tool where I could, you or any user can just go in and deposit Ethereum. And then as soon as the ICO or the public sale would be over, then you'd have access to your tokens. It's, it's basically the, the stepping stone for a lot of ICOs to get their tokens out. Mm. So the companies that are going to run these nodes are basically selected by the development team, Mike? The They used like three um, three items as, you know, what they want to use for determining who's going to be available. Basically, like the idea is, you know, a company like Apple would be like obviously a per- one of the perfect situations. It's just a very stable company. They have a lot to lose. You know, some of the metrics that they're going to use to, to score this uh, – authority would be like their market cap, their, their status, whether it's a public or a private sold company would be a major difference. And, you know, they're just going to create this rating system to decide, you know, which ones make more sense for their network and which ones do not. 
Hmm. That seems like pretty centralized decision making right there for what it's worth, though. I mean, this is an interesting concept. All I'm uh, I'm saying healthy skepticism is warranted because so far it sounds like, okay, well, we're just going to handpick the notes. But hey, you know what? Actually, to be fair, that's the case with multiple big projects, right? And I'm not just talking about Ripple. Even Neo is kind of hand, has handpicked their notes. So this is not unique. All I'm saying is that to me, that's not. Uh, I'm not satisfied with the idea that something is decentralized because a couple of handpicked businesses get to run the main notes. I wasn't able to come across like what happens over time. You know, I don't know if if those nodes can sell their rights. I don't know if there's like a, an application system for other people to replace other nodes that choose not to be participating. You know, those are things that. Even if I found the answers, they're likely to change, you know, because it's such a young company. So it's something that I like the idea. It's it's a creative way to do it. Um, They do have a a significant amount of venture capital partners and angels investors. Mike, just to clarify, though, I want to get a little more like, so what what is GoChain's like? What are they going to be trying to do? Their their big thing that they plaster, you know, all over their website and their white paper was that they... They wanted to, they had this 10x, 100x, 1000x, you know, description. And what they want is, let me find it real quick. (laughs) So I I was originally skeptical when I read this because I read it several times without actually getting any like solid information as to how it was going to be accomplished. But they want 10 times more decentralization, 100 times increased speed, and 1000x improvement in energy consumption. So those are three things that arguably are the three most debatable things in crypto right now is... Okay, so and there can we uh, just go over those one more time, Mike? Because I, I don't see them on the outline, so I just want to make sure we have them. They want to increase decentralization by 10 times? Okay, so they're claiming the the proof of reputation is going to be the primary reason for the decentralization over proof of work. They're arguing that 70% of... Or 70 to 80% of all the proof of work mining, I'm assuming this is the Bitcoin quotes. Uh, 70 to 80% of the mining comes from China and from a small handful of companies. So their argument is because so much is coming from one place that they're able to basically 2% comes from one part of the network because there's 50 validators as opposed to much larger. So they're, they're saying the, the decentralization is going to increase dramatically. Because of the way their proof of reputation works. Now, one thing we didn't touch on, um, the way the reputation u- is used is that the validators are publicly known individuals and companies. So the people involved are accountable for their actions in the public eye as well as in the private eye. <clears throat> Um. Right. Right. I mean, I, I guess I understand what they're saying, and it's true. That we, co- we covered the first part. Um. And their next big claim is that they're going to hundred x speed. But it's going to be like just like Ethereum, Mike. Like they want to. I don't. The one thing I don't understand is they're saying that you, they'll speed up Ethereum transactions, or that they're going to build a platform that competes with Ethereum and is faster than it's Ethereum. It's on top of Ethereum. It's it's a, it's it's it interacts fully with the Ethereum network. Okay. And all right, so. I just wanted to make sure I got some of my numbers right here because they, they got a little messed up. So right now, they're claiming that Ethereum is limited to 13 transactions per second, and they would like to increase this to 1,300 transactions per second. Got it. Um, and, and what they're saying is the 
data storage of 1300 transactions per second, it would produce uh, 70% of a full gigabyte of data per hour. So even if you try to do that many, that many computations, it's not going to be sufficient because you need a place to store a blockchain that large. Um, so by doing this, they allow the 50 validators of the network to run a snapshot of the blockchain and it can be, it can be reached in a much more efficient manner and kept stored for everyone else to have. So the 50 validators are the ones storing the blockchain, which are the 50 publicly probably publicly traded companies that everybody's familiar with. That's the idea, yes. Correct, okay. All right, Mike, so you're talking about, you've mentioned their proof of reputation system, which is an upgrade over the proof of authority system, at least according to them. So why don't you maybe tell us a little bit about the difference or why it's an upgrade or, or anything, how authority worked, anything, go ahead. Yeah, so proof of authority started more as a private blockchain decision. It's something where, you know, if, if we had a private, our private business is pretty much the three of us, you, me and Brent as the, the validators on the network. We run things by each other. You know, when things are, are universally acceptable, then we put it on our metaphorical blockchain. Um, proof of reputation is going to replace the users with, uh, with vetted companies and businesses. The idea is that the, the reputation of company A will equal the the sum of the reputation that all the other people give plus times their vote. So if we have 50 validators of the network, okay. there's 49 of them have a vote. So the reputation score of each individual part is the sum of the reputation that is voted on by the other 49 members of the network. And as long as this entire network remains intact in a public manner, the the network is incentivized to to make sure that the other participants in the network maintain their 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 decision making and their you know overall positive influence on the network. They ended, up so give, they ended up giving a great example. I want to touch on this really quick. Okay. Um, there's a story that they touched on that I had never heard of where I guess Volkswagen, the car company, had a very large emissions problem. And they ended up getting a $25 uh, million fine for that. And what they were saying was if, if there was a network of car companies, for example, and all these car companies were in agreement with the government, for example, that – you know, and we've talked about this with other networks where you can, you can, you can put rules and laws in place that are in just humanity's best interest. You know, like, you know, we don't have power plants dumping toxic waste in the lakes because like, even though that's a profitable decision for them, it's bad for the entire world. <laughs> this situation, if Volkswagen was held accountable for its actions by say Ford or by other companies, and then it could be kicked out of say, you know, the international car formation alliance, whatever that could look like, then they're hoping that the companies are going to hold each other accountable in the public eye because they have so much to lose for negative decision-making. Okay, see, now <laughs> the that, project that's what has... I'm, I, I, I'm not saying I fully agree with it. No, listen, I get it. I'm not, Of course, I'm not saying that you agree with it. I'm saying that at this point, they've kind of lost me a little bit because it makes me feel like they didn't fully follow that scandal or or understand the situation. Number one, Volkswagen lied about its emissions test because it was cheaper to produce the machine with more emissions in order to give to be able to advertise the horsepower that they did 
They got caught. They were lying. They were polluting on purpose and lying about it. And guess what? We're finding out with all the other car companies. Turns out that a lot of them are telling the same lie because it's more profitable. And the idea that, oh, well, the companies will just self-regulate because negative. That that makes no sense to say that Ford is going to be in charge of regulating Volkswagen, in my opinion. Similarly, similarly, I'm not sure how a company in Argentina is going to govern a company in Germany, but... There's some kind of system. I'm sure there's. they've put some thought into that. Yeah. The only thing I'll say here is that I feel like they're making it one step removed, right? Where a lot of the decentralization in crypto is targeting people specifically. Like literally, let's just get as many nodes, as many spread out throughout the world, and that'll make it decentralized. And here I feel like they're saying, oh, we'll just give it to a selected group of companies that'll have an interest in having positive reputation, but we've constantly seen entities that have to make a decision between profit and reputation, and they choose profit, some choose reputation. But that's not, it's by no means can we assume that because it's going to be a reputational decision, that companies will always make the, the, the decision that helps their reputation. So my so my question though, Mike, is the proof of reputation, you it's automatic or the other companies are kind of voting on it? And that's what I'm confused about. I believe about. It's, a, it's a liquid vote. Okay. It's continuous, I believe. You seem deep in thought. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm just trying to, I'm just, <laughs> sorry. I'm just trying to fully un- understand exactly how it works. Okay. So the idea here is, and it's going to be 50, company, 50 companies in 50 countries. So 50 times 50 or 50 total, one in each country? One. I believe it's one in each country. There's 50 so total. So it's a total of 50 companies. Interesting. But, you know, does this mean that, that, these are the super nodes and they can have secure nodes as well. Are, does the network get further decentralized beyond this? I don't, that is something I didn't come across, but it wouldn't surprise me. Okay. But, but you didn't hear it mentioned. No, no, though. no. That total speculation on that. That is not, right, right, right. nothing I just said is factual. Right. <laughs> All right. So the very last claim, I, we talked about the, the 10x, 100x, 1000x. And, and the one that kind of bothered me the most was the 1000x, uh, more clean, uh, greener, more, it felt really, like an unnecessary thing to add. But here, I will say the very end of my research last night, they actually put, I found some numbers. It took a while. Um, there, so these are numbers that I have no way to verify, but the, the estimated energy consumption of the Ethereum network by this company is 14 TWH. I don't know. Terawatts, maybe? Terawatts, probably. Yeah, that sounds like a lot. I don't know what that means. (laughs) Um, So they said, so there's, they decided to do a little math and and they're assuming each of their 50 nodes are going to require about 450 watts of power for the server, which would mean that the 50 node cluster would only use about 197 megawatts or roughly one one thousandth of the energy of the Ethereum network. So, you know what? I, I was a little skeptical about that. And, you know, it's kind of nice that there's a way to actually like mathematically break that <laughs> down and, and show, show the work on it. So I thought that was a neat little addition. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely cool. And energy consumption is definitely relevant. Now, again, I don't want to make it seem like I'm hating on the project. No, this has nothing not. to do with Go. This is probably more of just a general proof of stake or proof of reputation. Yeah, or- exactly. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, of course, that is a network that where you don't have miners competing against each other to secure the network is going to have less energy expenditure. Like That makes perfect sense. I'm sure- I would have assumed consume. the difference was a lot smaller than this. 
I would have said probably 100 to 150x maybe. Well, Mike, think about it this way. If we look at a project like Neo that has a few selected nodes spread out in a couple of places and they're in charge of securing the network and you compare that to to Bitcoin where you have literally thousands of miners with all of their equipment competing against each other, which one is going to burn more energy? Well, the guys that are competing against each other, not the selected mini monopoly of nodes. You know what I mean? Right. I, I just, I guess... If you would have asked me two days ago how much cheaper anything like proof of stake is compared to proof of work, I would have said probably about um, a hundred to one ratio. But they just showed it was a thousand to one, so I thought I think that's yeah, no, 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 a thousand to one is a huge ratio. I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. But again, I would be interested to know or if they're proposing fifty validators, how many nodes does the Ethereum network have? And if they have more than a thousand times more, so f- over fifty thousand then it would be almost break even from a ratio perspective, if that makes sense. Well, but <laughs> I think to, the point is, is it's it's meant to not be that way from network. a ratio perspective because it doesn't use proof of work. Right, exactly, exactly. That's the thing that makes me believe the number. That part makes sense. We're con- They're consuming a lot less energy because they're validating in a different way. Um, all right, and then any anything else you want to tell us here? Any extra details before we go into some pros and cons? No, pretty much covered it. All right. So from your perspective, Mike, tell, tell, tell us what you think were some of the pros and some of the cons of this project. So certainly from the, the pros and cons perspective, um, I, li- I like that they are, are trying a new consensus me- model, even though we may have some skepticism on it. And I think that this could very easily be in the, in the cons category as well, depending on how this plays out. I think that I'm fine accepting the idea that a company is easier to keep in line than an individual. You know, do you think that that's feasible? No, I disagree hmm. completely. Interesting. Give me one data point or one piece of evidence. Like, give me something concrete that proves that. Because if an individual commits a crime, I can directly charge them with a crime. But if a but if a company does something, you have to go through multiple layers to get okay, to okay. consequences. Uh, Let's just say in a legal perspective, let's say one of these people steals money from the company and leaves. Well, I mean, I think we already have examples of that. If an individual steals money from a bank corporation or something like that, no, they're going to end up in prison. If a validator on a network decides to have malicious intentions and decides to leave, there is no regulation for that currently. Well, no, I understood. Uh, look, all I'm saying is that to me, individually, a lot of the value of blockchain is being able to design these mechanisms in such a way that we don't have to rely on what are essentially have already been proven to be broken uh, trust relationships. So what do I mean by that? We don't really trust the government. We don't really trust uh, businesses. We don't trust a lot of these institutions. So the idea is, look, we can program these machines and these networks in such a way that you don't need to trust them, right? Whereas like here, I feel that part of that engineering problem is being put aside and saying, no, look, we're going to be more decentralized because we're taking 50 of these entities that you don't trust and giving the control to them. And it's like, okay, well, I don't think that that's going to be able to compete with a project that actually truly decentralizes it in a way like Bitcoin. Well, Bitcoin still 
not truly decentralized. But all I'm saying is that there's different approaches to try to reach true decentralization. And I don't think that hand selecting 50 businesses is going to be the way, that's not going to be the project that stands out the most from a decentralized perspective, in my opinion. It's so hard to know how things are going to evolve that, you know, I, I completely agree with you that there is a very good chance that a business could be a strictly worse decision than an individual, but I'm curious to see how it plays out. And I, and I think that there's, it's a problem that if, if very intelligent people wanted to solve it, I believed it could be solved. And, and there's I, I ways, there's ways that this can be created and framed where this could be beneficial and it could be not nearly as beneficial. It could be a big downfall. So, you know, I, that's part of my struggle with the pros and cons section because I can definitely see merits to both sides on that particular topic. Mike, but as, as a quick side note, I would be definitely more sold. I just want to make this point clear. I would be definitely more sold. I don't, I'm not saying that I don't think that this solution has a place. Uh, and I just think that it's part of the solution. So if this was a part of a broader decentralization initiative, so let's say that this project was saying, look, we're going to have, I don't know, 500 notes and 80 of those notes are going to be represented by international businesses. And, you know, 50 to 100 of those notes are going to be represented by, you know, universities and 100 of those notes are going to be represented by IT business, whatever, just like give some kind of distributed vested interest as opposed to just like, okay, it's 50 companies that can communicate, collude, uh, work in conjunction. Like, I, I don't understand. Like, I don't just see, I don't see it as a huge step towards decentralization because it's missing too much. So I'll just cover up some of the other cons that I had. Um, I definitely feel like it's early. So even though they were able to come and, and complete a couple things, they had an early proof of concept, an early private sale, and an early delivery of their mainnet. That's great, but let, let's just see what this becomes. It, you know, that's always a problem and always a con with, you know, researching these early products. It, honestly, the, the goals are pretty lofty. You know, they, they have a roadmap goal for, you know, next year where they would like to expand the transactions per second, you know, by a hundred X. If, if the technology from, the the team from Travis Reeder, for example, the former founder of Iron.io, if his cloud computing expertise allows them to able able a place to store all these transactions in an efficient manner, then yeah, this absolutely could be a huge deal. But again, let's let's see it in place. I thought that the the team looked excellent. I thought that it was a big pro. You know, they seem to have pretty solid reputation themselves. Another one of the another one of the pros that I I was a big fan of the fa the fact that they won a Binance community vote. You know this yeah. this was what originally got me here. We we've said for a long time that you know we believe that Binance is doing things on a very different level, and I believe that you know their ability to vet a project is significantly greater than mine. And what I will say is I don't remember the last time that I saw oh Binance is delisting X. You know because right. I believe they probably put in more effort into the selection process. And if that's, these are all hypotheticals. If that's true, then that is what led me to say, Hey, let me check out this go chain and see what it's all about. The final thing I wanted to touch on, and I didn't know whether to put this in the pros or the cons, but I'm interested to see the, the quote unquote next gen smart contracts. You know, I'm not a big fan of that phrase either, but 
if they're able to do new and innovative things with a smart contract that can't be argued that'll be a very positive thing a hundred percent any kind of innovation you can bring to the space any kind of new application uh is going to benefit the entire uh ecosystem so agreed and as far as where to buy honestly i i could recommend a few different places but it's binance it's always binance try (laughs) to stay on binance you don't have to use our referral code use one of your friends i don't care uh, your, your safety is still not perfect there, but man, Wait. it's a lot better than other places. Michael, how much is Binance paying you to say this? Stone zero, but I, zero. I, uh. I can't <laughs> consciously recommend many other markets. I mean, it is, it is on KuCoin. It is on Bittrex, but I, w- I would recommend Binance. All right. And Mike, uh, can you tell us the main competitors? Yeah. The, the other off-chain solutions raiden plasma you know there's a few that are trying to make this all work together and you know if they're able to work in conjunction and harmony then that's going to be even better for the network you know there might be a time you know two years from now where the 1300 transactions per second is nothing for ethereum we just don't know we could still be on 13 by then we (laughs) Maybe we go to 14. No, I mean, you uh, never know. Obviously, there's, there's been successful implementation of these off-chain solutions in, in ways. I, I'm just excited every time that something new comes along and we just have an opportunity to grow. Awesome, man. And what about, you know, the most fun, your personal future outlook? This is where you get to speculate and be irresponsible. And just remember, the members of the Crypto Basic Podcast are not financial advisors of any kind, shape, or form. All right. My personal future outlook... Uh, I'm not in, I'm not in the buying market right now. I, I am in the, the research and speculation market. Um, I don't know. I think this, I, it came out about what I was expecting. I'm not going to say it excited me too much. It definitely passed initial criteria. I think that this is a project that we can happily discuss, you know, anytime news comes up on the flagship, it's something that, I could definitely see succeeding. However, the, the main things that I would need to be guessing on, on whether or not this can remain a fruitful project, it's just things that I have no idea about. You know, can they achieve their goals? I hope so. If they do, that would be awesome. You know, but that's part of what lofty goals are is that they're lofty, that that in and of itself makes it risky. You know, is there going to be a very successful off chain solution? I think yes. Is this it? I don't know. You know, it's, it definitely needs to be in the conversation of a very relevant improvement to the network. You know, whether or not every relevant improvement gets used, that's not up to me. So, Mike, it sounds like this project has got your interest, but it's going to take a little longer for it to get your attention. Is that more or less the... It's on my radar. I I would say that I came out overall very positive. I think it. Uh, I'm excited to see where it all goes. Awesome. All right. Well, I think that's going to more or less wrap it out. You now have a better idea of what Go, 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 Go Chain is all about. Mike, do you have anything else you want to say to the audience before we wrap this baby up? Yeah. If uh, you thought I messed anything up, please join our Discord and come correct me. I'll be happy to own up to any mistakes. Uh, There's a lot of numbers in here I got mixed up at some point, but hey, I'm not perfect. I'm just a guy trying to learn about crypto and you're here listening to me. So, uh, (laughs) you know, like us on YouTube, join, rate us on iTunes, do whatever we like you to do. Also, if he didn't mess up, come join our Discord in order to tell him what a good job he did. And we also recommend joining our Discord if you like music, food or environments of any kind. 
Once again, we'd like to remind you that the Crypto Basic Podcast is not comprised of financial advisors. Just a couple of guys recording stuff. Hey, go about chain. Crypto. If you guys need a, a validator in Florida, we got you. There you go. Small business in Florida to represent the United States will be the one in 50. <laughs> and who's representing the United States? Is it Apple? Is it Microsoft? No. It's the Crypto we, We'd have Basic to have Podcast. a public sale first so that we can build our <laughs> reputation score. <laughs> All right. Well, that's going to do it here at the Crypto Basic Podcast. Once again, my name is Kareem Baruka. I was here with Mike Lockie, our editor in chief. <laughs> our editor in chief, Brent Philbin, wasn't here with us today, but I'm sure he'll be here soon telling jokes and making us mad and stuff. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful day and hodl, my friends. Peace out.